In this episode of The Higher Ed Shift, Chris sits down with Dr. Astrid Jimenez, president of Utah Valley University. Dr. Jimenez was born in a farming village in the Philippines province of Ilolo. She moved with her parents and siblings to the slums of Ilolo City when she was two years old, her parents seeking better educational opportunities for their children. Her pursuit of education eventually took her to the United States, where she graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's degree in international relations and Russian literature from Brigham Young University. She later earned a master's degree from Harvard University in Soviet studies and a PhD from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in political science. Before joining UVU, President Tuminas was an executive at Microsoft, where she led corporate, external, and legal affairs in Southeast Asia. She has worked in philanthropy and venture capital in New York City and is a permanent member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Dr. Tuminas shares her distinct and unique educational experience and what it is like to lead an organization that serves as an integrated university and community college focused on three core values, exceptional care, exceptional accountability, and exceptional results. Thanks for that great intro, uh, Dr. Tuminez. We welcome you to the President Series here, series here at the Shift Summit. We're really excited to talk to you about the mission of Utah Valley University and some of the innovative things that you're doing there. I've got a lot of questions. I could talk to you for a really long time. So uh, instead, I'm just going to try to jump right in. Um, and the first question is just looking at your background. You've You've had an amazing career. You've done a lot of different things and a lot of them in diplomatic relations, um, which I know there's a lot of educating of leaders that goes on in, in that realm. But what drew you to the position um, at UVU as, as the president? Yes, thank you for that uh, question. I have been president of Utah Valley University for two and a half years. This is the largest public university in Utah in terms of enrollment. And uh, I always describe that I had a zigzag way of getting to this university presidency. I'm not your classic candidate who's been a department chair and a dean and a provost and then, you know, applies for a presidency. And it's a zigzag because, as you said, I've spent a long time in international relations, um, types of diplomacy, if you will, uh, starting with a former Soviet Union uh, even in the southern Philippines, working on peacekeeping. And then I worked on Wall Street as well. And then um, uh, in a tech company, finally, for Microsoft for six years before becoming president. And what, what attracted me to this job? It wasn't really something that I was looking for. But when I saw the opportunity and I saw that this was a university with scale, this was a university that was very inclusive. And this was a university that I thought was handling higher education uh, appropriate for 21st century opportunities and challenges. I was really intrigued. And then when it came to the match between me and UVU, I was asking myself, 
what institution could I go to where I could use everything I know as, you know, someone with a PhD, as a scholar, as someone who knows money, because I'd worked on Wall Street, as someone who knows technology, because I'd worked for Microsoft, and even as someone who'd worked in, um, in philanthropy as well, and then in, in peacemaking. And I thought, oh, the, a university, of course, oh, <laughs> all the skill sets could be put to use. So, so that's how it happened. And that's why I came here and applied for it and got the job. That's a great story. Um, UVU really is a unique and innovative uh, institution. Uh, you mentioned it's the largest uh, uh, institution in Utah from its enrollment perspective, but it also has a dual mission um, as both a university and a trade school, which is, I think, very unique. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that dual mission and, and why you think that model works in today's higher ed? Yeah, so we have a dual mission. And what we mean by that is we have a community college embedded in a teaching university. So UVU in its DNA and when it began in 1941 was really a trade school, as you said. It evolved into, um, you know, a a community college and then a state college and then a full-fledged university. So why is this model relevant to the 21st century? Um, Before I answer that question, I will have to add that UVU is open admission. So practically everybody gets admitted. And um, we know that in areas where the community college is separate from the university, very few, I believe less than 20% of the community college graduates actually move on to a a bachelor's degree. And the most common reason for that is, is, is the inconvenience and the difficulty of navigating an entirely different system. So what works at UVU is that you can get your associate's degree here or even just a certificate of proficiency. Because we are open admission, some people are not prepared. Some are very, very prepared. We get the 4.0 students who will succeed no matter what. But even more important, we get those whose life experience did not prepare them as well. So they can, in a way, the, the option of stacking your credentials works very easily in one institution. It's seamless. And then the other advantage is um, because we're open admission, so we match the menu of offerings to the diversity of the students that come in. That's why we have the certificates, associates, bachelors, and uh, 11 master's degree at the degrees at this point in time. Wow. So you're really meeting this, each student where, where they are in their educational journey and providing. Yes. yes. We, we talk a lot about personalization, you know, but the easiest thing for a university is to admit the 6% of your applicants. That's the easiest thing. You'll have very high completion. You can more or less predict that the, the population coming in uh, has a certain homogeneity and characteristics. But this is a lot more com- complex, I, I believe. And so there's a lot more intervention and intentionality necessary. And then we collaborate way down with the high schools, middle schools, and then the technical colleges as well. Yeah. So one of the objectives of the shift summit is, is to continue a conversation around how institutions can, can help students navigate the financial journey that goes along with their education. So that how, how do they unlock every dollar of funding and how do we remove friction from the process when you look at you have a like you mentioned you have a very uh, diverse 
uh, in all terms of diversity uh, student population. So what are some of the financial barriers that your students are, are hitting and how does the institution try to help them navigate? Yes, yeah, so I think uh, it would be good to maybe give a profile of the, the student body of Utah Valley University. We have an enrollment of roughly 41,000 and 11,000 of those are high school students who take concurrent enrollment. And there the financial barrier is not so great because they only pay $5 per credit hour. So the best of them who finish an associate's degree, and there are quite a few who do this, they have saved their parents literally, I believe, tens of thousands of dollars. And they can finish their bachelor's in two or two and a half years. Um, so the rest of our students are, are you know, regular college students, but 43% are on Pell Grant. So that's already uh, an indicator that they belong to lower rungs of the socioeconomic ladder. 81% work while going to school. And, and over 30% work full time and some have families and 19% are students of color. 37% are first generation. So that profile is important to understand because it gives you a picture of the fact that yes, financial, um, the financial factor can be quite critical, uh, uh to their success. We have found that there are eight, when we interviewed students who drop out, finance is the first problem. Um, so what do we do? I think that's the question that you're asking because that's also Campus Logic's uh, raison d'etre. We want to help people overcome the financial barrier. So we just do a lot with you know, ensuring that um, FAFSA, the, the Federal Financial Aid Form, that everybody fills that out. 43% of our students receive uh, Pell Grants. And then we offer a broad range of scholarships and financial aid. Some of them needs-based and some of them merit-based. The, my favorite of the merit-based scholarship is the presidential scholarship, which pays for everything. And that is fully funded by a ball. We have a presidential ball at the beginning of, of the year. And in my first year, we raised close to a million from that ball. Last year, because of COVID, we did it more as a parking lot, stay in your car kind of ball. But we still raised 500,000. And then for the needs-based, we look at um, students who just need a little extra to meet the tuition. They have some money already. Uh, we also offer needs-based uh, completion scholarships. And then we have something for emergencies. We have a care initiative on campus. It has nothing to do with cares related to COVID. But we found that some of our students, you know, uh, go hungry or sometimes they just need, it's about $500 max. Sometimes that's, that's, that's all it takes to persist or to drop out. And then um, finally, we also target adult learners. The state of Utah has 470,000 people with some college, no degree. Starting in 2016, we did a very hands-on outreach and we phoned or emailed uh, over 16,000, some college, no degree. And uh, these are amazing statistics. So we, we contacted over 16,000 and about 2,900 re-enrolled. And as of today, we have graduated about 540. They completed their degrees. Some of them already had 90 credit hours. And we did offer some scholarships that it wasn't very expensive. We spent about $443,000 on 
what we call Wolverine um, completion and returning Wolverine scholarships. But 443,000 to get 500 new graduates and understanding the implications for their lives and their earning power, um, I think that's pretty powerful. So one final thing maybe to mention is we are de-emphasizing ACT and SAT as well. So we are revamping our scholarship grid to capture more students who have really worked super hard in high school, gotten high GPAs, and be able to come here and get a scholarship. That's great. That's great. And and with with that uh, set of programs, there's a lot of resources available to students. But what what I found when I worked on campus was a lot of times students just aren't aware. <laughs> They don't know how to find them. They don't know how to navigate. So do you have any, any unique ideas around how to, how to create that awareness, how to, how to help them find these resources? Well, the first ethos is, you know, to um, accept that we can never over-communicate. We can never over-communicate. Um, I had a PhD advisor at MIT who uh, drilled into my head when I was a PhD student. He said, you know, Astrid, in your introduction, tell the people what you're going to tell them. In the body of your paper, tell them what you said you're going to tell them. And in your concluding paragraph, tell them what you told them. So you, we cannot over-communicate. Um, at UVU, we have a wonderful Office of Student Affairs that is really focused on the student experience. And this is true as well with uh, information and financial aid. So it actually begins before... Uh, students come here. So it begins in the middle school and high school. We have federally funded programs, uh, Upward Bound, uh, TRIO that reach out to first generation lower income students or in general to high school and junior high students. Um, they also reach out to adult learners. Uh, and then we have one called UV Prep that's purely on STEM, education, science, technology, engineering, and math. And many of these are programs in the summer. So um, we uh, inform students from junior high and, and high school and then adult learners and those interested in STEM what the financial aid options are. So just communicating to them at that point in time. You cannot over-communicate. So when they're admitted and they get their admissions letter, we repeat that information. And every year, roughly, except perhaps for COVID, we have 10,000 uh, parents and, and prospective students doing our tours here on campus. So that's a big number. We repeat that information again. And then annually, we host a conference for guidance counselors through our K-16 Alliance, kindergarten through the Tech College to UVU. We host this conference for counselors and then our own advisors do a massive amount of outreach to the high schools. We have also partnered with the GARF uh, Family Foundation here in Utah. The GARFs are in the automotive business and they develop an app which has become very popular. It's called uh, Keys to Success. And, and the keys to success, again, high school students are using this, but we put all of the information on our scholarships on that app. And the students can win prizes the more they use the app. Finally, if you're already a student at UVU, we nag you a lot. If you're a continuing student, we email you six months before, you know, papers, your application is due two months before it's due. We just have constant reminders. We text students. Um, and then we also love that in Utah, high schools here have uh, FAFSA nights. 
So they help students uh, fill out the forms. Uh, again, the bottom line is you can't over-communicate. There are students coming from families. We are 37% first generation. So if your parents have never navigated financial aid, they are not likely to be able to help you. So we really have to do uh, a lot of heavy lift. For sure. Yeah. No. And they, and everybody does have, even I have to hear things multiple times, right? So yeah. it, it, it applies to everybody, not just students. Um, when you when you think about helping students be successful financially, how do you tie that back to the to the institution's core values? You mean just helping them get financial aid and and navigate uh, college? Um, so how do we, I tie that to the core values of UVU? When, when I first arrived here, a central in my thinking as a new president was creating a culture. And culture, or the way we live, work, talk, play, make decisions, that's informed by our values. What are the things that we think are good things? And so we, um, through a series of conversations, and then with me having a pretty clear opinion of what I think our core values should be, so we define them as exceptional care, the first core value, followed by exceptional accountability, and then third, followed by exceptional results. So how do we tie that in with uh, financial assistance and helping students navigate financial needs while they're in university? Um, exceptional care just means we really need to see our students as they are. We don't have the privilege of educating uh, a majority of 18-year-olds. That's not the majority here where mom and dad are paying for um for college. In fact, the majority have to pay 81% work while attending UVU. So exceptional care. And then followed by exceptional accountability, I always like to tell my colleagues and myself, what do we do with our time when we get here? What do we do with our money? Do we link with the community so that we could raise more scholarship money, uh, maybe more internships, more opportunities for our students to be sponsored for the things that they do. Uh, exceptional accountability and also give ownership to the students. You could get financial aid, but if you don't show up for class, you're, you're going to fail. Yeah. And then the third value is exceptional results. Even though we are open admission, I believe that we are very ambitious. We are very ambitious and we've taken upon ourselves a very um, complicated mandate of an open admission university. So let me tell you a number that's really uh, important. When I got here in 2018, our completion rate was about 36%, just about the same as the average completion rate for open admission four-year public institutions. So nothing to be ashamed about. Nonetheless, I thought we could do a lot better than that if we applied exceptional care, exceptional accountability, and exceptional results. So today we are at 41.5 uh, in our completion rate, two and a half years into my presidency. And I published the goal, and we obsess about it, that we have to be at 45% by 2025, and hopefully we surpass that. If you do not give out a number to hit you don't have you know, your North Star to tell you where you want to go. So discussions on budgets, hiring, student experience, we all have to focus that around um, these core values and in helping our students with financing and having a positive experience because they need to help themselves at the end of the day. Yeah, no, but I love that having that, having that North Star. And uh, those are some pretty spectacular results already. Um, so 
you know, the, the flip side of, of, of this is, you know, providing value to the students. And, you know, we read a lot in the media about the value of education. Um, and so how do you think higher ed needs to evolve to meet the needs of students from how it's preparing them, given that um, many of the jobs that they're going to end, eventually get don't, don't, may not even exist today, right? Mm -hmm. With you know, and so how, how, how do we as institutions need to, to think about career success uh, for these students? Yeah, that, that is the uh, million dollar question because, you know, higher education as a whole is, is a sector that's definitely being disrupted in so many ways. And I remember um, looking at the, um, I think it was the inaugural speech of President Lawrence Bacow at Harvard, where he said that he couldn't have imagined in his time that uh, families will question the value of higher education that public officials will say they don't want to fund higher education anymore. Right. You know, it's all of these uh, attacks against higher education. So, so what's our role? Uh, the question I'm hearing is how how do we change higher education? Is that uh, the question? And yeah, then, how, how particularly we... when jobs of tomorrow don't even exist yet today. Yeah. You know, people argue in the old days of the traditional role of the universities to help people search for the truth whether the truth is in science or history or what have you. But then today you get this stronger, louder voice that it's about social mobility. It's about being able to get a job. I think it's both. I think it's both that there is room for colleges and universities to help all of us think more critically, be able to disagree without uh, being angry and, you know, not cancel one another out. And there is huge room for social mobility. At the end of the day, all of the research tell us that overall earnings, overall health, overall happiness, all of that is helped by, by a college education. But what are we to do given that you know we're preparing students for jobs that don't even exist? Um, so I have some views on this. First, I think is that the classic uh, critical skills and we know what they are, communication, blah, 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 you know, I'd now see um, communication, collaboration, um, creativity, all of those are as needed as ever in any field, whether you're going to be a chemist or a historian or an exercise science person. So we need to create opportunities at a university. That's why I don't believe in a fully online education. I believe that there is still plenty of value to be gained from, from being face-to-face. -face. Um, secondly, I think that we need to... Um, give students more hands-on experiences. Uh, we call that engaged learning at UVU. And some of these are expensive, like study abroad. Not everybody can do that. We have to be very realistic and allow our students to you know, build projects that have to do with business or science or the mayor's office or the local charity or the Boys and Girls Club. Anything that they have a passion for and are willing to organize others to do something around it. And, and that's one of my... Uh, dreams here at UVU is to drive this dynamic where every student eventually says, I worked on a project during my time at UVU and I am, you know, I'm um, agnostic as to the nature of the project. It has to be uh, driven by their passion. I also think we need everyone to have some introduction to data science or some technology. So I encourage the School of the Arts, the College of Humanities and Social Sciences to partner with a business school or the College of Engineering and Technology because 
the most interesting things in our thinking and in our competencies occur at the intersections of fields. Narrowness gets you somewhere for sure if, let's say, you want to be the best orthopedic surgeon, right? More often than not, if you're going to be a leader or a manager, you need to know where fields of being and doing and learning intersect. And so I'm really a big fan of that. I, I, I would love students to get short-term certifications in many, many things, whether that's you know Google, Microsoft, uh, Facebook. Uh, if Unilever has a certification, take it. Take it alongside your philosophy degree. It can only help you. And, and data science, I think, is really important because whatever field you're in today, you have to be able to understand whether the data is silly or not and what to do with that data, how to harness it. So those are some of my ideas. And I will just underline, we still need the university as a place where we search for truth, but also as a place where we get real skills so that we can be employed and, and you know, support ourselves and our families. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and and you've, you've obtained a lot of education in your life and, and been in education. And so when... When somebody challenges the value of, of the traditional degree, how, how do you respond? Is, is, the, is the traditional yeah. four-year degree still valuable? Or you, you mentioned yeah. stacking certificates. Like, how do, how do you yeah. think that best plays out? So the, the traditional four-year degree is still definitely very valid, but it's not for everything and it's not for everyone. So again, just going back to the numbers, if you look at un, un, unemployment, the more education you have, the less likely you are to be unemployed during a recession. It's the same with lifetime earnings. The more education you have, the higher your lifetime earnings will be. Now, why is the four-year uh, degree not the answer to everyone and everything? There are people today, if you're a brilliant coder, programmer, you can get a job any time of the day, anywhere you, you want to work. Um, but again, that, that sort of goes part way. In, in a way, you still have to educate yourself. Even, you know, a Bill Gates who dropped out, right? Bill Gates knows history. He knows science. He's continued to educate himself because at the end of the day, a broader education or a lifetime of learning is really important. So I think, I think we have to be honest about the fact that there are many alternatives today. The tech companies are offering uh, short-term certifications, and if you could do, if you if you can do the job, they'll hire you. Similar to an engineering position, we have to think about a lot of of uh, certificates of competencies, two-year degrees. One of my favorites here at UVU is mechatronics. It's a two-year degree for clean manufacturing, and and the uh, starting salary is seventy thousand. So many bachelor's degrees can't even come close to that. Um, Again, having said all of that, we should know what the options are and, and know that um, the principle still remains, whether you, you get a formal degree or not, that the more education you have, um, the better uh, citizen you're going to be and the better you'll be able to think about, you know, your choices in life and, and how you navigate um, work and life. Because, you know, if we're lucky, we have longevity, we'll live so many decades and, and education to me is always helpful. As as a as a parent, I would also be curious. So I have four boys at home, um, and as they start to look at an educational pathway, what advice would you give to parents? How, how should I help them? <laughs> 
I almost dare not give any advice. I have three uh, children. And the reason I preface it by saying that I dare not give any advice was my oldest, who is now 24 and is a girl. She um, she was, you know, the top female graduate of her class at Singapore American School. Every summer, she'd gone to the Johns Hopkins Gifted Program. Um, she started at the gifted program in New York City at Hunter College Elementary School. She aced her Stanford Binet exam at the age of five. So uh-huh. I just thought, oh, there she is. She'll just be totally fine. So she goes to Columbia University in New York. And after a semester, she says, this is not for me. Not for me. I am not persuaded about the value of this education. Um, these are all the same people climbing on top of each other to succeed, quote unquote. And I, I had, I practically had a nervous breakdown, you know, over this. So she, she, uh, she went farming for many, many years in many countries, you know, doing permaculture farming. I wouldn't even know where she was. And then she was apprenticing to different people, you know, learned, uh, like crocheting, uh, sheep butchering, felt making, uh, got her 300 hours to become a yoga instructor. And I was really concerned. I was really, really worried. Um, today, she's a junior uh, at UVU as an online student. <laughs> and she's she's three semesters or two semesters away from completing. And she absolutely loves her program at UVU. It's online. And she has not stopped being a smart you know, person. She uh, trains for, I don't know, so many hours a day, every day in jiu-jitsu. So she's in her jujitsu phase. So, so what advice can I give to parents? I think we, as parents, we have to be really humble about what we are navigating here. I think we need to give our, our, our kids values about hard work, curiosity. Curiosity is really important and hard work and humility. And then expose them to as many things. You know, if we have the means to do that, expose them to travel and and art and but you know what this generation that's very non-linear are very not like us at all <laughs> they're gonna do their thing so I have two more kids one is a freshman uh, at university right now and the other is a fifth grader with my fifth grader I'm not even trying I, I <laughs> so I know this may not sound like you know I'm not giving any advice but Really, it is very humbling. It's very humbling. Yeah. And, I, and they'll make their way. Every generation figures it out. They have to uh, create the world. Right. Also, that's, that's good for them. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned that your own career kind of zigzagged, right? That you zigzagged. And I think yeah. as a parent, say, being comfortable with, my child is likely going to zigzag. And Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> I, I did not zigzag as much as my daughter for my education, <laughs> but I did zigzag a lot in, in career. And I think that's that's the norm. You know, I I, I would say that I've had four or five distinct uh, career uh, sectors and and I used to feel a little bad about that. But I think that's now going to be the norm because yeah. people want to explore. They have access to information in ways that we we never had in my generation. All right. Last question. Um, when what would you like to see other colleges do that's not being done? Like, what would you like to see in higher ed that's not happening today? Yeah. Um, so so uh, 
I don't know that there's really things that are not happening in higher ed today, but I would really love for higher education to be more inclusive. Higher ed has really been exclusive and also rather prejudiced in the ways that we think, you know, who qualifies for for a degree. And, and I have seen just in the short time I've been at UVU, people who were told they were not college material or, you know, um, they were bullied in high school. We are not leveraging uh, a, a higher education sufficiently to really capitalize hum- human potential. So I believe everybody has human potential. Some of that gets developed in kindergarten, in fourth grade, in junior high and middle high. And I think higher ed is another fantastic place to develop human potential to the extent that that potential is ready for a certain development. And our task is to systematically remove barriers without dumbing down education, but to understand that people have different passions, even different types of intelligence. You know, there's uh, like I look at our automotive program. These people are tinkering with their hands, so they have a very practical intelligence. I'm the kind of person who gets lost in a novel, and that's kind of the way my my brain works. But why are these things not equally valid to offer in a in a college or university setting? So I think focusing more on real people and the ninety percent, not the upper ten percent, the ninety percent, because that uh, that work has implications for this country, the United States. It has implications for the world. And it has implications as to whether people get angrier or get happier. So I I think just being more inclusive in our approach and being intentional about it. Oh, I love that. Uh, I've always believed that higher education has the power to change lives. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's one of the biggest forces for good. Absolutely. uh, Or can be. So... Well, really appreciate your time today um, and just talking through some interesting things. Uh, again, UVU, uh, I think, is a is a model for inclusive education, a model for highly personalized education mm-hmm. that uh, I think is really powerful and not only impacts the students, but um, my parents live in Utah and I know the economic impact that UVU is having on the state. Um, and so it's it's an important work that you're doing, and and uh, we're we're cheering you on. Uh, Thank you. Well, we are ranked number one in alumni earnings, by the way. Major, comparing major to major, yeah. we are ranked number one in alumni earnings, and seventy five percent or seventy six percent of our students, our alumni, are still here ten years out. So, so thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity today to share a little bit about what we are doing at UVU, and uh, we do love students and want them all to succeed. Thank you, Chris. No, thanks for your time today. Really thank appreciate you. it.